Thank you so much for tuning in to the Aeronautics and Astronautics podcast, where two specialists in aeronautics and astronautics are going to break down everything all about uh, science and all types of complicated things that I definitely understand and uh, and, and really bring you the, the latest and greatest in, in aeronautics. Uh, I, I'm your host, um, Stephen... Stephen Smart Science, and I'm here with uh, with my guest James Delorier, uh, who who knows quite a little bit uh, about about things that fly in the air. Isn't that right, James? Oh, that's right, Jarrett. Uh, even though the the title was aerospace, and I have worked on the space <laughs> aspect of it a long time ago, I'm really more interested in atmospheric flight. Oh yeah, you know, me too. I I definitely understand the distinction between that, those two things that you just said. <laughs> Uh, Luckily, this isn't uh, the whatever the hell I said uh, podcast. This is, in fact, a podcast where I actually kind of know what I'm talking about. This is the Photography Friends podcast, uh, and I am your host, Jared Poirier, your host, your photographer, whatever you want to call me. And I'm here with another excellent photographer, you know. I call him Jim because uh, because when we met, he introduced himself as Jim. But uh, but you can call him James out of respect. <laughs> James Delorier is here. Uh, tell us about yourself, man, and tell us uh, how you ended up on this crazy podcast today. Well, uh, <clears throat> I don't know where to begin. I um, my background is aerospace engineering. Um, I received my bachelor degree from uh, University of Illinois, and I graduated from Stanford with my PhD. And in the meantime, during the summer, I worked at NASA Ames Research Center on the uh, Apollo uh, program for the moon, wow. which was looking back on it now, I, I, I realized what a great honor that was. But um, circumstances were such that I received a uh, job offer from the University of Toronto Institute for Aerospace Studies. And I moved with my family up here in 1974. And I'm Canadian now. <laughs> I'm very happy to be Canadian. <laughs> well, welcome to the uh, Canada Club and, and welcome to the Photographer Club as well. Uh, and just to kind of fill everybody in, the, the way that uh, Jim and I met, we were at the uh, One of a Kind show here in Toronto. I just went, uh, I'm actually a graduate of uh, U of T as well, but we never ran into each other over there. I was doing the more, you know, the softer sciences, I guess, than, uh, than you. So we weren't in a lot of the same buildings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we uh, ran into each other there at the one of the kind show. I had just gone to shoot some shoot some photos and shoot the shit and and meet some people and uh, and and we did just that, you know. And uh, you saw me with my camera. I saw you with your uh, what is a, a Roloflex or some crazy thing you've got going on. Yep, there's a Roloflex uh, 2.8D, made in the na- mid 1950s. Uh, right on, yeah. So, so we got to uh, we got to talking, and and since this is the Photo Friends podcast, I, I didn't really think about that when I when I made the name, but I have come to realize uh, that you know, no matter how different people may be, the the shared love of photography can really bring people together, and uh, and I think we've got a lot of photo friends out there that uh, that we just haven't met yet, is my opinion. What do you think about that? Well, you know. Um... There's a resurgence of interest in film photography. It's mm. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, 
you probably don't remember a heck of a lot about the 70s. In fact, you were probably born in the 70s. I was born in the 90s, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't remember much about the 70s. I'd have to ask my parents about that one. <laughs> well, film processing really, really tubed. Yeah. Uh, you, you bring your film in, it could have been taken with a Nikon F and it looked like it came back looking like it was done with a with an Instamatic. Uh, they had pebbles surfaces on the pictures and the colors would fade mm. and uh i i didn't like that at all so i set up my own dark room i couldn't do color i do black and white which i like actually yeah i'm doing my own black and white photography photography and developing the negatives and spending a whole day in the room with the enlarger you know getting yeah. the pictures and prints and uh, for color, I would just use like Kodachrome because mm-hmm. uh, I sent it to Kodak. They can't goof that up. So, <laughs> you know, that that's that's how I operated. But then digital came along. And, uh, of course, I embraced digital like everybody else. And uh, I had some I had some good digital cameras. I've taken some good photos. But somehow or another, there was something about darkroom photography, film mm-hmm. photography, that I just found appealing. It's, it's like a craft. Um, oh, yeah. it's, it's hard to explain to somebody why you would go through all that trouble, but it isn't trouble for me. It's enjoyment. Yeah. And uh, so I got back into film photography and I found much to my amazement that film is still available. It's yep. still being made. Kodak's still making film. Uh, Ilford in England is still making film. And for that matter, I also uh, I used to go to these antique camera shows in Toronto and I collect old cameras i just liked old cameras but i like the kind that i can use you know use a collectible sort of thing (laughs) yeah not just the ones that are gonna sit on your shelf there well we're gonna get uh we're gonna get a little bit deeper into film photography here that's gonna be the topic for this the final episode of 2022 if you guys can believe it before we can do that though i do of course have to thank our sponsor cloudspot can i uh, can i go ahead and do that jim is that all right with you Oh, absolutely. Because they're, they're going to be pretty mad if I don't do it. <laughs> uh, CloudSpot, ladies and gentlemen, is the easiest way for photographers to deliver and sell their photos online. You can create a beautiful gallery with all the photos that you shot. Super easy for your clients to download. Super uh, easy to integrate sales. People can buy uh, prints and all sorts of stuff right off of the galleries. Really couldn't be simpler. Uh, I've been using CloudSpot. I absolutely love it. To be honest, I it's the way that I send photos to all of my clients now. And uh, if you are a listener to this podcast, and even if you just listen to this one episode, I'm talking to you, uh, Jim's son. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can save uh, you can save 50% uh, off of a, a whole year of CloudSpot and impress your clients. So if you want to do that, you can uh, you can check all of that stuff out. Uh, so how did you get uh, I'm just wondering, you know, before we really get into film and kind of the difference between like film and digital. Uh, I wanted to ask, how did you like get into photography in the first place? Because, you know, like uh, aerospace, uh, aeronautics, blah, blah, blah. Really, uh, I don't see uh, immediately the link between that and photography, uh, but I, I, I'm totally willing to be proven wrong on that. Well, actually, um, it, it was just an interest of mine. Um, I had my first real camera in 1970, which was a Yashica D, mm-hmm. a twin lens reflex. And uh, we were living in Europe at that time. I was doing my postdoc in, in uh, Belgium. And when we traveled around, I wanted to take quality pictures. You know, the Instamatic was okay, but it just isn't okay enough when you really want to have a good photograph. So Mm -hmm. 
I, I learned about aperture and shutter and stuff. So the, the motivation was to take better pictures. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, but how did, how did you even like get into it in the first place? Like where did your love of photography come from? Like what was, what was the, the, the bug that bit you that got you into that? Like, was it being into films or being into some other form of art or something like that? No, uh, it was just uh, having accurate documentation of stuff, mm, people, okay. and projects I worked on, taking pictures of my model airplanes and oh, really? You know, okay, you know, that kind of thing. And I wanted good quality photographs, right? But the process itself was interesting, and the cameras themselves as artifacts, technological artifacts, was interesting. And uh, I was really happy with my twin lens reflex, the uh, Yashica, mm -hmm. and uh, that that's when the bug bit. Yeah. So more of a more of a practical thing in that case, right? It was, but it's become more of a passion now. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's how it uh, that's how it goes uh, a lot of the time, right? And that to uh, to bring it up again, you know, since we are kind of on on that topic of uh, of space and whatnot, that was one of the um, one of the interesting things that came out, uh, you know, one of the epiphanies, I guess you could say, that came out of uh, like the Apollo program, Gemini program and all of that, they brought cameras on those missions uh, for the purposes of documenting the mission, you know, so, like practical scientific reasons. And it turned out that, you know, these pictures of Earth from space, which no one had ever seen before, were responsible for like a huge paradigm shift and stuff like that. So it's very interesting how those two areas of uh, of photography kind of overlap, eh? Well, that's right. I think anybody who goes up to the moon and picks up that <clears throat> Hasselblad that was used is going to uh, uh, have enough money to retire for the rest of their lives because uh, <clears throat> the Hasselblad uh, would take a six by six negative, mm -hmm. which just... No matter what anybody says, it just comes out better than 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a, a beautiful image. And, uh, you know, you saw that uh, Earth Rise, that amazing photograph that was taken. Certainly. But they, they brought the film packs back. But they left the camera behind. Yeah, keep... there's there's two of them, two, uh, two Hasselblads right now on the moon sitting up there. Oh, man. <laughs> that's that's the uh, long game with this podcast, you know, so when once we get really successful with the podcast, we're going to uh, that'll be that'll be a great episode. That'll be a great YouTube video uh, go, going to the moon, <laughs> get, getting those cameras. Uh, I wonder if they still work like uh, maybe they do. I don't know. They're pretty well made. Well, I don't know. They were they've been bombarded by <clears throat> micro dust all this time. And they're probably yeah. just something that would be in a museum. Might might be tough, but there, there's only really one way to find out. So, yep, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, the difference between digital and, and film and, you know, really preferring that film approach over the digital thing. I'm a, uh, a digital photographer, like we've discussed uh, in person. I, I've never really shot film. In fact, as a matter of fact, until you you were the first person to ever explain to me um, light metering and like how that actually works up until you, that explanation that you gave me at one of a kind show, I, I had never understood what, like how, how you would determine, um, without, you know, being able to look through that viewfinder and get like an image, digital image of what's going to appear, right. And change your ISO and stuff like that. And change your aperture. Uh, yeah. Uh, why, why decide to go film, especially since like digital has gotten, 
so good now and so convenient. You know, you just throw it on your computer, open up a program, you can make it black and white, you can make it orange, blue, green, whatever the hell you want, you know, change the contrast, everything. You know, why still stick with that film thing? Like, what is it about film that you truly love? I still do digital yeah. <clears throat> for my work. Mm -hmm. um, I have a wind tunnel in my basement where I've uh, been doing experiments. Yeah, who uh, doesn't have that? <laughs> well, I figure someday it'll be a selling point for the house. You know, uh, hardwood floors, two-car garage, fireplace, wind tunnel. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a sizable uh, wind tunnel. <clears throat> my, I have a very patient wife. And uh, it, uh, I've been doing airfoil tests of wow on, on low speed airfoils and i've also been doing some tests on airship configurations but uh so when i take pictures um that i'm going to incorporate into a uh into a powerpoint presentation for my clients of course naturally i use the digital camera or <clears throat> if i'm going out and i want something lightweight to carry with me and i want to take you know a picture say at the at the x or something that involves a lot of color Mm -hmm. uh, something that I have to take a picture quickly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The digital is the one to do. And I, I could see why a digital was so appealing because uh, photo processing was hit or miss. I mean, finally, I found one good place on Elm Street. It was called El Pro. Mm -hmm. And they knew how to give you a good image. And even when I was doing some work with Kevlar, uh, there was, we were building a wing using Kevlar. I'd bring in a wow. sample of the Kevlar. And they would look at the color and they would match the color no with the print. No way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They were great. But wow. otherwise, these other places that, you know, it was just uh, waiting for disappointment. So uh, now digital sidesteps all of that. And you, you get a good picture with a good camera and uh, you can adjust it on Photoshop. And, you know, that's super. But film, uh, that's a whole different story. Uh, you have to have a lot more self-discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't bang off a thousand shots. You know, you got to... Yeah, there's no, there's no burst mode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, <clears throat> so you have to think about it. Mm -hmm. You have to do what Henri Cartier-Bresson said, you know, look for the decisive moment mm. and, and, and take your shot. And I discipline myself even more, really, because I like medium format, the camera you saw me with. That's right, <clears throat> yeah. You only have 12 exposures. Wow. That's, that's it. And, and uh, there are they like um how, like what's the is it four by four five by five? Oh, they're six by six, just six like by six. Oh, yeah, wow. just like a Hasselblad. Moon uh, by ready. six, we're talking about centimeters here. Six by six is nice. You get some of the quality of large format, uh, but also the convenience of a smaller format. I, I just love it. Yeah, a lot of resolution and the the process of well here let's let's go through let's go through the process. I think that would be in, an interesting thing to uh, to unpack and and starting at that thing of um, well starting at the start right. You got to get film for the camera. How are you, how are you doing that? Uh, I'm mostly buying my film from <clears throat> a B and H. Okay, uh, in on New the York. internet. <clears throat> yes, that's right. They, their service is super and what they have available for for darkroom work and, and film and so forth is just super. I mean, it's really good. Um, I, I've tried to buy my film from uh, from uh, Henry's and they have a they have a little, you know, plastic box and behind the counter that has some film in it. But uh, it's it's kind of hit or miss. 
Right. Yeah. And if you're finding if you get that BNH, it's nice and consistent and, and ships pretty fast. Oh, very fast. Really? Uh, oh, they're great. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so once you once you've got your film, uh, you obviously put that in your camera and then you, the, the whole thing that's really different um, about film photography, like the actual process, other than the other than the development, which we'll talk about. Uh, but the, the light metering thing. Like, can you explain how that actually works? Like when you press that button on your light meter, what does it actually tell you? And like, how do you, how do you work with that? How do you implement that? What you have to always remember, <clears throat> keep it in the forefront of your mind is that what I had said to you back when we met at the one of a kind show is that amateurs think about equipment, mm -hmm. professionals uh, think about cost mm -hmm. and masters think about light. Mm, yeah. so always think about I love, light i love that and uh so uh with the light meter it's uh what you try to do is uh take an average uh get up get up close if you can mm -hmm. uh to the to the subject the the ideal way is to have a card that's that's 18 gray and hold that card in front of the subject and mm. take the light reading off of that that will give you the full spectrum of uh of um exposure values uh from you know you, you'll cover from the dark to the to the light uh the exposure number that ansel adams talked about mm -hmm. but uh, you know you can't always do that <laughs> so you know your your subject can only be so patient so you kind of hope that you're, you're catching an average yeah especially if it's a dog or a little kid i'd sit there all day for you but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were a very good subject <laughs> but um yeah, so you, you take your exposure reading, and then you can translate that to uh, a shutter speed and an aperture. Um, of course, with a with the twin lens reflex, the uh, you don't have the mirror slapping around inside like you do with a single lens reflex. So you right. can you can hold it steady at a thirtieth of a second. I mean, it's like a like holding a, a sizable object that isn't very light, so mm -hmm. uh, it's steady. Uh, but uh, if you're wide open, you don't have a great depth of field. Right. I took a picture of a family where the father and the mother were just fine in focus, but the little kid standing in front of them uh, was was fuzzy. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's one of the one of the drawbacks of a twin lens reflex. The, right, uh, the, right, the right. focal length is like eighty millimeters. Mm, okay. Wow. Yeah, some people just uh, just rock that f four in every situation, and then they're always safe. You know, <laughs> no matter well, what. The, the idea is that ideal is like the uh, smartphones. Uh, they they almost have an infinite depth of field. Yeah, yeah, they do. But then you're getting, uh, you know, not no subject separation, no bokeh, anything like that. That's why I always kind of, you know, when people say, "Oh, you can use smartphone," like, yeah, sure, you can. But like, there's there's certain things that you're missing out. So when you actually hit that light meter, um, does it show you literally like what your shutter should be? Like it tells you the exact number, what your shutter should be. Is that how it works? Well, it depends on the camera I'm using. Uh, okay. I have a Rolleiflex T. Uh, so um, what you do on that is you take the uh, exposure value reading. So it's like maybe 14. Mm. And then you have this little lever on the side, you set the 14. And then it gives you all the options you have you oh, want wow. for shutter speed and aperture okay. but the camera that you saw um the light meter also on the dial on the top gave me options of shutter speed and aperture and mm, i i okay. chose the chose the combination yeah cool okay i kind of get how that works and then um with iso 
I mean, this is going to sound like a various obvious, uh, very obvious question to you. But you know, people who have only ever shot digital, this is going to kind of blow their minds, you're you're stuck at an ISO, right? Yeah, that's right. I can't I can't vary it. I, it. It depends on the film I put in. That's right. Yeah, I I've, I always use ISO 400. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's it, kind of, uh, you know, it, almost in the the middle of uh, of a good acceptable range, right? Yeah, uh it's uh it's not fine-grained. Mm-hmm. But uh if I was using that ISO 400 with a 35 millimeter camera, if you started enlarging a little bit too much, say like a, you know, like a, a 8 by 10, you definitely see the grain. But with a bigger negative like I get from a medium format camera, the the grain is like pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you should be you should be fine at that level of ISO. But yeah, it's just t- completely different than the the digital approach where all you do is spin that wheel and you can go up to whatever twelve thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, your photo is going to be grainy as hell, but uh, you can pretty much shoot in the dark if you really want to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Sony's you know. great for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Actually, uh, last night I I mentioned uh, I shot a concert last night and then on my way home, I just had my camera walking home. Uh, decided to risk it a little bit, you know, uh, it was raining. <laughs> so I pull, pulled my camera out. I was pretty careful with it. Uh, and, and I got some really cool photos like I can shoot in, especially with the uh, with the, everything being soaking, like the whole street being soaking wet and the reflections. Uh, I'll I'll post some of those up on the on the Instagram so you guys can check that out. Yeah, that is one thing about digital that I don't know, film can't quite uh, compete with on that level, right? But you probably thing. could, but you'd have to exert some effort and not worry about getting your camera wet. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> uh, what I have a Sony cam- digital camera. It's a little one. Oh, do you? I was going to ask. Yeah, what is the digital camera that you use? Because you mentioned your uh, your film cameras. Yeah, it's the RX. Uh, RX one hundred, okay, uh, okay, Mark two, okay, okay. It, it's it's nice. It's a, a real sweetheart. It's a it's titanium. Um, it has uh, um, the Zeiss lens, and I've taken some great shots with it. Uh, I remember uh, at the X at night, uh, we were on that sort of like uh, ski lift type thing, mm-hmm. and I you know rocking back and forth, and I just took some shots from it, and they they turned out really well. Uh, mm. I could never do that with my Rolly Flex, that's for sure. And another thing is that uh, one time that there was a dark alley right across from uh, from Barbarian Steakhouse in uh, on Elm Street. This dark alley, you couldn't see anything in it. And just for laughs, I aimed the camera at the dark alley and took a picture. Yeah. And, and the picture came out. It showed everything that was in the alley. Wow. Crazy, eh? Yeah, you can't, you can't lose. It's a good museum camera. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it looks pretty decent. I'm actually checking it out here. 20 megapixels, like that's pretty good, man. You know. Yeah, that's and a nice, nice sensor, uh, nice, fo- nice post processing. 4K video as well, so that's pretty sweet. And uh, the it's got a Zeiss lens on it, and that's pretty mm-hmm. cool, man. Yeah, and you you know that Jim's a serious photographer because he actually knows how to say that. <laughs> Pronounce. <laughs> Pronounced it perfectly, man. What's this thing sticking out on the top of it? Uh, on the, like, is that like a pop-up flash on the? Yeah, on the there's right a pop-up there? flash. Okay, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty practical, honestly. Oh, and you can zoom the lens right out, and you've got, uh, yeah, like kind of a variable uh, aperture, but it looks like you can go to what, like a two point eight 
mm-hmm. in some spots. So yeah, that's pretty decent. Yeah. Well, 2.8 is plenty with that camera because like you say, you can crank up the ISO pretty high. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can get beautiful photos with that, man. Um, yeah, let's get into uh, the yeah the 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 actual film uh, processing part, right? So, like you said, you've got options when it comes to that. You can bring it into the shop, but then you're kind of at the mercy of whoever the tech is who's developing that, and you know you're at the mercy of whatever system they have and. Like you're saying, there can be a lot of issues with uh, with consistency and really getting the photo that you want. So what you've opted to do is is develop your own, correct? Yeah, I have a little dark room in the basement. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Along and with the wind tunnel. <laughs> this this is a uh, quite quite the the basement. You know, it's got a, <laughs> a dark room. Uh, for some reason, I'm picturing that there's like a a train that runs through it, so you can get <laughs> so that you can uh, get. Not through quite there. at that level yet. <laughs> Maybe one day, you know, with the Canadian funding, it's a little bit harder to uh, to do some more of these ambitious projects. But uh, you know, we'll we'll get there eventually. Maybe once they listen to this podcast, we can probably we'll we'll convince Trudeau he'll send you the the cash. We'll get that train built. Uh, yeah, what's the so the process of actually uh, working in the dark room? Like you mentioned, that that's kind of a an involved thing, and uh, you know, quite. Uh, quite the process there so but you also mentioned that you enjoy it um and that you find it kind of meditative so do you want to break that down like how it actually works for the listeners from taking out that uh taking out that film and what do you do next you've got the film out of your camera you're standing there you're scared you're shaking (laughs) (laughs) if i'm doing that i better not be doing it (laughs) no that's what i'm saying the first when you do your first one yeah (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm going to describe it, but your listeners are going to say, why is this guy doing that? (laughs) You can tell them them after, yeah. But, uh, well, with the, uh, most people, when they think of film photography, if they know about it at all, they assume it's like 35 millimeter, uh, where you rewind the film back into the cassette. Uh, The uh, 120 film uh, that I use on my twin lens reflexes is different. Uh, it goes from one spool to the next, and it's paper backed. Oh, so, okay. So after my after shot number twelve, I I have this crank on the side, and I keep winding it until it winds it onto the to the upper spool. Okay, so I'm in the dark room. I open up the camera. I take the film out, and uh, if I'm not going to process it right away, there's a little sticky label you can, you know, keep it from unraveling, <laughs> and so it says got- exposed. You have so, that option, eh, to, to yeah. not do it right away. Is there like a time that it expires or something, or you wait forever? Uh, well, I mean, you know, like uh, you want to do it fairly soon. Um, I've had old film, that, but I keep it in a small fridge in the basement, so it, it stays preserved. And okay. the, the real purists uh, freeze their film, hmm. uh, which essentially makes it forever. Wow, interesting. You just have to be sure to you know, let it thaw out before you use it. But um, okay, now and everyone looks real cold in your photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know the Andre expedition, that balloon that crashed in the North Pole, and and uh, everybody perished. Wow. Uh, decades later, they found they found the glass plates right uh, from the from the cameras, wow. and uh, and uh, were able to retrieve the images from those. So uh, yeah, how cool is that, man? Like that is some cool stuff for sure. Well, anyway, so okay. Uh, at this point, after I take the film on, I'm, I'm going to take care of business. Uh, 
I, I take out my developing tank. I have a developing tank that's a circular plastic thing, and it has a reel uh, that you put in the middle. Okay. So I, I turn off the lights in the dark room. I'm in pitch black. Um, I can't see anything, so I have to make sure everything is at hand. And I know where it is. You know, my scissors, the developing tank, the reel, the film, the cup of coffee, you know, all, all set. Um, take off my Apple Watch because there's a glow from it. I don't want that. So mm, um, wow! So you really, yeah, you have to be that careful, eh? Oh, you have you you have to be absolutely pitch dark. Um, so anyway, then I uh, I trim the edge. I start unrolling the film, and I'm real careful to distinguish between the paper backing and the film itself. So when I encounter the film, I trim the corners a little bit so it can go on the reel smoothly. And then I feed it onto the reel. It's a little bit of a complicated process with 120 because you're peeling the paper away at the same time. And finally, you reach the end where the film has been attached to the paper by tape. And you take your scissors and hopefully snip it uh, close enough to the tape that you're not cutting into an image. Okay, now the reel is, has the film on it. You put the reel into the tank and then you put the light, light proof top on top, you know, screw it on. And then you're ready for business. Then you can turn your lights back on. That's the only only time the dark room has to be dark. Yeah. So once you have it in the tank, and the tank is filled with chemicals that you've also purchased from like B&H? Well, not yet. It's, oh, okay. uh, uh, I just leave the tank, set it aside, and then I start pouring the chemicals out. Okay. I have these beakers. Uh, for 120 film, I have to use a uh, half a liter of chemicals for each. So I have one beaker that's developer. Uh, another beaker that's stop bath, which stops the development. Uh, a, a third beaker, which is hypo, which fixes the image. And then there's another beaker, which is hypo eliminator, because you don't want to have any trace of hypo on, on your on your negatives. They'll start turning brown, you know. So it, if you want to make them archival, you go through that process. Wow. And the, the developer, um, I get that from B&H. Uh, it's uh, Ilford ID11, and it's... Uh, Really, really a nice developer. I understand. I use it. Never lets me down. But I, I belong to these one of these Facebook groups that is into film developing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, these people try all sorts of stuff. There's a film developer based on coffee called Caffinel. You wow. Know? And there's uh, something else that sounds like Rodanel. See, that, uh, that coffee one probably just happened. The guy, like you said, he's got everything in there. He's got his cup of coffee. Oops, you fucking poured that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I mean, it's great. <laughs> it's good that people find it entertaining, but I, they don't seem to be so interested in good quality photographs. They're taking pictures of, I don't know, brick walls and trying out these different development techniques. Yeah. And, and to me, I want to make my film count. So, so I go with the go with the standard way of going about it. Yeah. So, it, you, so like anyway, you said you only have twelve in there. So, exactly. Yeah. the The last step, uh, you know, I wash it. Uh, the last step is to wash it for like ten minutes because if you use hypo eliminator, you don't have to do it for a half hour. And then I take it out and I plunge it into one last container that contains something called PhotoFlow, uh, which is sort of like a like kind of like a soapy solution. And then I then I take the film off the reel. Oh boy, this is the moment of truth. Is this is, do I have pictures in here? <laughs> do they look good? <laughs> or and, did I uh, waste a lot of time and money? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, is the is the Zen kind of bent a little bit? But mm. anyway, I take it off and I hang it. 
I have these clips. There's one clip uh, hanging off the ceiling uh, and another clip that's weighted that I put on the bottom. And the photo flow just uh, uh, allows it to dry smoothly without any water spots. And then I very, very carefully leave the dark room and leave well enough alone because I don't want to be stirring up any dust. Mm-hmm. I'm a fanatic about dust. And uh, you got to leave it for, you have to leave it at least overnight. I mean, it'll look dry in maybe like a half an hour. Right. But that, that emulsion hasn't had a time, had time to harden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, you, you let the emulsion harden. You just have to be patient. Yeah, kind of like painting, right? It looks it looks like it's hard, but then if you start messing around with it, you're going to cause yourself a lot of headaches. Yeah, or walking mm-hmm. on wet cement. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. uh, so uh, the next day, um, I cut the film into uh, segments. Uh, I have uh, I have these this binder which has these plastic sheets that are archival type plastic. In other words, they're not going to you know start turning into something else and sticking to the to the negatives. Right. And so there's like uh, three images per strip. So I get four four strips all together. Mm-hmm. Now here's where I vary from what I used to do. I used to spend all day in the dark room with my enlarger uh, printing these things. And that, that was very time consuming. It was interesting. You know, you got your radio going, you know, placing, playing classical 96 or something. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a certain pleasure to it, but I just, uh, I don't have the time for that. So, right. so I scanned them. There, there's a, a negative scanner option on my Epson V600. Easy. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I scanned them and then, uh, with these digital images, I can work with them a little bit with Photoshop. Oh, true. Yeah, you can do so. You can do that type of post processing, and then obviously share them with people. If you shot photos of people, then yeah, it's pretty simple to once you have them scanned in, you send them, and the the resolution is still all there, right? Like a hundred percent of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, some people may say, "Well, heck, you know, that's they're digital images. Uh, so what have you done?" Yeah. But um, <laughs> the thing is, is that I I used to at um, uh, my enlarger, I had I had filters, different different color filters, which would give me different contrasts. Yeah. And then I'd be burning and dodging with these little little things on the ends of wires, uh, little circles of paper. Uh, you know, adjusting the exposure in certain parts of the of the print. Right. So, wow. so I'm just doing the same thing now with with Photoshop. Yeah, I was going to say they have a little tool in Photoshop, I believe, called the old uh, burn and dodge there. So, yeah, and uh, you 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 know what my my next question is going to be, right? It's a pretty obvious question. Like, uh, why, why, why exclamation mark? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like uh, that saying about writing a Harley Davidson. If you had to ask why, you don't understand. <laughs> you know? mm, yeah, there's, there's just something about it. Uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I'm usually pretty busy with a lot of other things, so this is my entertainment, you might say. Mm-hmm. And, and do you find that it's like meditative for you? Like when you're doing it, you're not thinking about anything else, and you're just in the zone. Yeah, absolutely. You have to pay attention. <laughs> there's there's a there's an old saying that it's never too late to bugger up. And so you have to really, really pay attention. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of things in life and in, in marriage, that's definitely true. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when it comes to uh, film photography, yeah, I could uh, I could imagine that being true. Right. And there's, you know, with uh, with 
the the little Lightroom program here on my computer, there's going back. I can press undo, but uh, with that type of thing, there's there's not quite an undo. But I definitely understand that. You know, there's certain things that I do um, that I find highly meditative, and and I get in the zone of doing it. Uh, working out, exercise is definitely one of them. I'd say for me, shooting photos. Like when I'm on set shooting photos, I am literally not thinking about anything else. Mm-hmm. And and you know, um, this is uh, the the longer I've been doing this stuff, and the more photographers that I've met by doing this podcast, the more I've realized a lot of us share a little bit of the uh, the old attention deficit disorder. And uh, I don't know if that's true in your case, but a lot of the people who uh, who I've met who are into photography have that. And to have something to do, you know, where you truly have to focus, you truly have to be in the zone. This podcast is another example, right? I'll sound like an idiot if I start trying to, <laughs> you know, talk about a bunch of different random shit and, and not stay focused about on uh, on the topic of photography here. So, so I fully understand that, to be honest with you, like, uh, you know, I'm saying why exclamation mark, but but actually, you know, as uh as a photographer myself and uh, as an artist, like I, I fully understand why, why you're into that, you know, and the, the results are different. Like it is appreciably different what you are able to come out with. It looks like a photo that was shot on film, right? And that's the same for movies. Like basically ever since I've been born, films have been shot uh, digitally, right? Like ever since the matrix <laughs> or whatever. Um, but there's, but people still shoot on a film, you know, uh, Tarantino and a few other people, st- uh, I think Nolan as well, um, still bother to shoot on film and, you know, for everything that digital offers you, there, there's something special. There's something, um, you know, even looking at your photography, uh, that there is something special about film. There's a, there's a certain look to it. And, uh, there's like a, I don't know. Analogness isn't a word, but <laughs> something something like that. There's like a naturalness to it in a way, right? Uh, there is. Yeah, there is something about a film photograph uh, that uh, I guess, you know, you could probably replicate a lot of that with uh, with digital. But uh, um, to me, it's just a well, hell no, to me it's an authentic photograph and obviously digital is an authentic photograph too, but uh, it's it's old authentic, I suppose. And there's one other thing about, about film that I discovered, mm. uh, which uh, I, I had never had anticipated, is that uh, it's a real conversation starter. Oh, okay. Yeah, true, true. Like, yeah, and it kind of adds extra meaning to the photo. Right, because you know how much work went into it. Like that is definitely part of it. Like it means more, and also you know there's something to be said for the fact that it makes you, it makes you selective, and it makes you like think. It makes you think a lot more about what you're doing. Right, you only have twelve photos, and therefore you have to be a lot more thoughtful about, like you said, waiting for that perfect moment, capturing it. Right. Yeah, there's no you can't do grab shots as easy with film mm-hmm. uh, as you could with, uh, especially with the kind of cameras I'm using. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've, one of the first things I tell people is like, okay, be patient. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I explain what I'm doing. And but when I was at the one of a kind show, uh, people kept saying, Whoa, what is that thing? You know, and I'd have to explain it, you know, what kind of camera it is and yeah. what it does. And finally I just would say, Hey, would you like me to take a picture of you? And they'd say, Yeah. So, you know, I'd take a picture and I'd give them my card and say, Well, if you want me to send a copy to you, just just uh, you know, just write to me and I'll I'll do that. And yeah, I, I got some great shots in Montreal uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, I was on Rue St. Paul, and uh, I was just sitting, sort of leaning up against the building while Susan went shopping, my wife. And uh, this, this lady came by with her little dog. It was a Boston Terrier. And I said, oh, a Boston Terrier. And she turned around and said, well, yes, do you know about Boston Terriers? I said, well, yeah, my family always had one. Oh, we wow. had a nice conversation. And uh, finally, I said, hey, would you like me to take a picture of you with your Boston Terrier? And she picked it up. And I got I got the greatest shots. It's her the love for her little dog just Aww. positively radiated out of that picture, and uh, so I, that's that's the kind of images I've been getting with my with my old twin lens reflex, and uh, I'm happy about it. I, I later sent her a copy of the picture. Yeah, if it's something that you can use to relate to other people and and bring people together, then you know that's definitely a beautiful thing and something that we definitely need, you know, especially since everyone's on their damn telephones <laughs> all the time, <laughs> looking at Instagram or whatever, looking at cute dogs on Instagram when you could be shooting photos of cute dogs in real life, you know, you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, I, 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 like I said, I totally understand uh, why you do it. And it, it absolutely is. Uh, it absolutely is something special and, uh, and a conversation starter, as you said, um, I'm, I'm going to let you uh, get, get out of here, Jim. I know you're a busy guy. You've got photos to develop. You've got, uh, you've got your wind tunnel. <laughs> uh, I have, I have one more question for you here though. And it's a bit of a heavy one. I think it's going to get us to the end of uh, the podcast. If you're ready. Okay. All right, so we're gonna hop aboard this last uh, this last question here, and it's going to uh, sail us clearly to the end of the episode. Here we go, Jim. Photography is it a science or is it an art? It's a science in the in the service of art. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. There's, um, you know, I think it, di- I think it maybe started as a science. I think that that may may be the case, right? I think the initial photographers, uh, man, if I could remember his name right now, there's Daguerre, uh, yeah. and there's uh, Nessafor Nieps, the the French guy. I think they're mm-hmm. both maybe they're both French. Um, their big thing was just can we mix chemicals together with certain things and create, you know an impression on a piece of metal of light, right? There was no real artistic uh, ar- artistic um, reasoning behind that, artistic impetus behind that. I think maybe maybe uh, at, at the very start of things, it was purely a science. But I, I really like the way that you put it, uh, a science in the service of art. Like, I definitely feel that, I, I feel a little bit like a scientist, I'll be honest. That's probably the closest I get, you know, is when I'm when I know exactly what I when I look at the scene and I know exactly what I need to do in my camera, right? And I'm in control of all these little variables, my ISO, my aperture, my shutter speed, blah blah blah, right? That's I 
as a person who, uh, you know, I'm mo- mostly an artist, I would have to say, you know, I identify as, a, as an artist in a lot of ways, but that's when I kind of can fire up the, the math side of my brain. And I've never really been uh, a big math guy or, you know, a big, I, I, I like my, my pop science. I understand uh, science to a certain degree. You know, I've got, uh, I've got some science books up here, man. I've got, uh, I've got some, some Richard Dawkins books and some crap like that. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, what, what else do I have? Oh, I've got a Neil deGrasse Tyson over here, you know, so stuff like that. I, I get into my science a little bit, uh, but I do love that. I do love that photography is that place for me to, uh, to overlap those things. Right. And, uh, yeah, obviously you're a scientist do you, do you, and you consider yourself an artist as well, right? Well, I'm not immune to art. Um, back in <laughs> back in high school, I used to. Um, I, I lived in a south suburb of Chicago. Yeah. And every Saturday, I would go up on the Illinois Central Railroad train and uh, go to the Art Institute of Chicago. I I I took courses there on the weekends. Yeah. On on art, uh, working with pastels and watercolors and oh. oils. And then I would spend the rest of the day just hanging out in the Art Institute, looking at looking at the. Um, impressionist paintings and uh, just enjoying uh, my day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much like you do uh, in the dark room and, and creating your, your art there. And, you know, there is this distinction. And I think it's kind of, a, a, in a way, you know, this conversation and uh, just kind of meeting you and, and hanging out kind of uh, changed my mind about a couple things. You know, there is that distinction that people make between, you know, scientists and artists or it's often referred to as like left brain people, right? More creative people. And then like right brain, more like analytical people. Right. And, uh, I think like our shared, you know, mutual love of photography, our passion for photography kind of highlights the fact that that division isn't really as real as a lot of people might believe that it is right. You know, well, engineering, engineering is creation. Um, science is discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but engineering, you create something that had never existed before. Wow. Yeah. And uh, to say that engineering is applied science is like saying that fine art is applied pigment chemistry. Mm-hmm. So um, my thing has been aircraft, flight vehicles. Yeah. And I've worked on a variety of different types of aircraft. And I spent a lot of my time either standing alongside a runway or standing in an open field, watching stuff fly or try to fly. (laughs) And uh, I was recently involved, uh, my last two graduate students, um, extraordinary students, uh, we were dedicated to making a successful human powered flapping wing airplane. Whoa. And it, it was successful. This was the first successful human-powered ornithopter. That's that's wow. what a flapping wing airplane is. And it is just, it was just beautiful, Jarrett. It was just beautiful. It was uh, early. The sun was just rising. The aircraft was there waiting to try to fly. Uh, the wind was blowing in its, in its cables, singing. The aircraft was singing in anticipation of flight. And it was brought towed into the air and then uh my student uh, todd reinhardt uh was you know working like crazy to flap the wings and it flew it flew and it was so beautiful it was art hmm. yeah and creation as well 
Uh, absolutely. Wow. Cool, man. Well, I think we I think we have our answer for that one. Uh, it's been a it's been an amazing uh, time having you on the show here, Jim. Honestly, um, couldn't have picked a better guest for the last episode. I think it was a great chat. I think uh, in terms of you know inspiration, uh, we got we got lots of that. We got lots to think about and uh, some practical stuff as well. You know, if anyone wants to get into film photography and and start playing around with that. I think uh, they'll they'll have the the inspiration and also some of the tools uh, and some of the knowledge that they need to do that. So thank you so much for for joining uh, joining us here on the show. Oh, it's been a great pleasure, Jarrett. And if anybody wants to see that ornithopter, it's hanging up in the uh, Canadian Aviation and, and Space Museum in Ottawa. Yeah. Oh, so they got to go to Ottawa for that. But there's other stuff. They got a good uh, scotch bar there as well. You can try a lot of different scotches. So go to Ottawa. <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> Drink some scotch. You know, while you're there, maybe stop by the parliament and say, you know what? There's this guy, you know, James Delorier. He's going to need a little bit more funding for uh, for, what he's, for what he's working on in the basement there. So. We'll, we'll try to we'll try to get that hooked up uh, it, so people can find that. And uh, if people want to check out more about you, more of your work, is there a particular even maybe check out some of your photos? Is there maybe a place where they can do that? Uh, no, I don't have them posted. Oh, well, fair enough. If, but if people want to learn more about you and uh, and your work, even in uh, aeronautics and stuff like that, uh, just search your name on the Internet. It's probably a good place to start. If anybody wants to see any of my pictures, just, you know, let me know. I'll, I'll be happy to share them. Cool. People can send you an email or whatever. There you go. Uh, if you want to check out this show, uh, we do post a lot of stuff. We do all that social media bullshit. <laughs> We've got the Instagram, you know, photo underscore friends underscore pod. Uh, the Jared Poirier YouTube channel. We're going to post this up there. Uh, you know, anybody, anyone can uh, can find it, no matter how tech savvy or not you are. Uh, if you guys want to help out the podcast, uh, you can donate to our Patreon. But what really would help the show that you can do for free, for 100% for free. Uh, if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can uh, drop a review for the podcast. And you can uh, check out our CloudSpot link for 50% off. And Jim, I hate to do this to you, but we always close the show with something random. I don't know how how great you are with improv, but uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in your lap. All right. <laughs> you some, some 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 words of wisdom, or uh, just just a something random for the people. Um, follow your dreams. You only have one life to live. Um, make the most of it. Uh, if you like something, and if you're good at something. Uh, you'll be successful at it. Um, I was told not to get into atmospheric flight because space was the future. I, I said, forget it. I'm interested in atmospheric flight. So that worked out for me. And if you have a talent and a passion, and a passion is what makes all the difference in life, uh, pursue that passion. <laughs>